Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by Japer Yeo, a dynamic business and digital marketing maven with a passion for strategy, holding an EMBA and recognized as one of Innovate's 40 Under 40 in 2022. Japer's expertise spans digital marketing, event planning, and business development. As a marketing lead at ESCO and a key member of the marketing board for GPA's Asia team, Japer is a force in the marketing realm. His academic background spans from the Quantic School of Business and Technology to the University of Bradford. He's not just about theories. Japer has a proven track record from co-founding Jakarta Radiant World and the Wild Pitches to strategic roles at ESCO and GPA. I've asked him to join us here today to share his story, plus dive into his insights on business strategy and marketing. So Japer, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Daryl, for inviting me over to the podcast. Yeah, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you here. So while we get into this, before we go too far and talk, talk about your accomplishments, how did you even get started in marketing? And Is this something like where your parents, do they have their own businesses as well? Is this something that's like a family career path? I wouldn't say exactly they were marketers, but my dad actually ran his own business. How I actually wanted to venture into marketing was that because I was just asking myself what kind of roles I wanted to do in the future after I graduated. And I know for sure that I didn't want to do stuff like I'll be very desk because in fact, my uh, bachelor's is actually in business computing. A lot of coding, programming is actually required. It's a very desk-based job. And I'm just not the kind of person that can just sit still in a place for too long. The next alternative that I had was basically to do sales. But the thing is that to me, sales is a very numbers-driven kind of thing. It's about just chasing the next target over and over again. You're just doing the same thing over and over again. Then my eureka moment came when I just chanced upon the digital marketing boom at the time. That was the time where people started using websites like freelancers. And in the past, it's actually called Fiverr and that it was Upward. But I can't remember what it was called previously. That was during that stage where I just chanced... It was ODAP. Yeah, exactly. That, that was the chance where I actually chanced upon marketing and I was like, hey, marketing is sales in a sense, but way more fun. So <laughs> that's how, yeah, that, that's how I actually got my roots in. And I was like asking myself, okay, how do I go about getting there? Because the thing, the irony about the industry is that even for a very junior role, like a marketing executive, for example, the requirement is that you actually require at least one to two years worth of experience. The irony is that for someone that is fresh, how are you going to get that one to two years? Yeah, how I actually managed to solve this problem is that I actually started my own uh, marketing agency, which Daryl mentioned earlier on, the wow pitches. So that's how I actually started venturing into marketing. Got it. So what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced? Like you just, you switched from kind of sales to marketing and it was just instant success, nothing but sunshine and rainbows. Okay, at the end of the day, even from a day-to-day perspective, you're selling yourself, honestly speaking. So the thing is that the I've been doing sales for the longest time. 
And I guess the experience from the different salesmanship that I learned over the years actually played a part because the thing is that, especially when I started my marketing agency at the start, nobody's going to spoon fit me with clients, mm-hmm. leads and things like that. Definitely, it was a very uphill battle gathering that first five clients. If you were to ask me whether would I want to do something like that again, I would say yes and no. Yes, in the sense that it was definitely fun. When you manage to snag that first five clients, you'll be like, oh, I'm the king of the world. Yeah, the steps to actually get there was so painful that sometimes you'll be just like, okay, maybe not, that kind of stuff. So how did you overcome it? You say, I get, I fully get it. It's easier... It's often easier to get take something that's already moving, already got momentum and make it do better than to get something from zero to lift off. They often say that the first $100,000 a company makes is often the toughest because they just got to they just got to chew through mud to finally figure out the pace, the offer, the, the basic systems. What well, how did you get your first 5 clients? What was the process? Okay, typically I would charge clients a substantial fee to learn that. Daryl, just for you. Uh-huh. I'll just share some tidbits of it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How I actually kickstarted it, honestly speaking, was through my network. So the thing is that definitely I got a lot of referrals. Referral can only get one foot through the door. Right. The, the main thing is to try to get the other foot to the door, fully close the deal and things like that. So the thing is that I'm glad to say that at that time where I started my agency, it was the time where the freelancing geek economy was really in the boom. And a lot of uh, companies were actually burned really badly by a, a lot of companies and especially freelancers that were based in specific parts of Asia. The thing is that, so what those freelancers actually try to do is that because with the cost of living being a little bit lower in their countries, they can actually charge a fraction of what a country like maybe let's say, for example, for myself, I'm based in Singapore. It's definitely going to be a fraction of it. But the thing is that there's that saying that goes, you pay for monkeys, you get monkeys. Basically, you pay for peanuts, you get peanuts. So the thing is that a lot of the clients, especially at the start that I actually received were clients like that, where I actually need to rectify the issues that were already done by all these freelancers. In cases like that, as much as I can, I'll try to actually rectify whatever that has been done. But honestly speaking, it's just like you going to the doctors and you have already actually consulted another doctor. The doctor has already given you the prescription and suddenly you just go over to another doctor. And if the doctor were to try to diagnose you basing on what the previous doctor actually did, and the previous diagnosis may not be the most accurate and may not soft yeah you know your, your issues there, there were cases where we actually need to tell clients that hey um you know whatever that was done previously i'm sorry to say mr so and i can't use it i have to redo for you the whole whole thing but what i can do for you to make it sweeter is that you know i'll charge you slightly lesser than what i usually charge but you get my full suite of services mm-hmm. so that's how i actually got uh, the ball rolling so what would you recommend to someone who's either starting out or struggling Engage me. Yeah, but okay, on, on a serious note, frankly speaking, right now, it's really very saturated. I, I'll be very honest with you. Unless you have a very special niche where you can uh, differentiate yourself from what the other people are shouting and calling out for, it's still much safer to just be employed and getting a job, to be honest. But the thing is that if you really do have the entrepreneurial bug, what I can say is that really just ask yourself what is 
something that you can do? What is something that you can provide that will be the unique selling point that other people are not able to do it? Or they can maybe only do a, a portion of whatever that you can actually offer. Yeah. Now, I have a, a question here because I yeah. know you've got all sorts of certifications in that. Yep. You mentioned you got started with referrals and that's how a lot of people get started. Nothing. But now, what do you have a preferred form of traffic? Are you big on search like AdWords search, YouTube ads, LinkedIn outreach? Is there what do you feel is the most effective or productive kind of traffic activity for someone at the time of this recording? Okay, so I'm basically going to answer this question in two different phases. So for people that are starting out and of course for people that have already some sort of traction and things like that. So for people that are starting out, to be honest, because you're just starting out, you're starting from ground zero, you don't really have a lot of resources abound and things like that. Honestly speaking, talking about AdWords, paid ads and things like that, that can get a bit costly. It's going to definitely burn a big hole in your pocket. Unless you do have content that you can somehow or another make it viral, then definitely that will give you a lot of traffic. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I would say that having a warm lead would make it way, way easier to gain traction. You know, for those of you that already have, you know, uh, some form of traction, you do have like clients, maybe, you know, have a little bit of budget to set aside to run advertisements and things like that, I would say go for it. Okay, reason why I'm saying that is that because, you know, at the end of the day, it's a bit like matchmaking. Your friends, your clients can try to refer you to people and things like that. The sad reality is that sometimes this is a getting a client is a bit like matchmaking in a sense that if the both of you are not able to actually work together, understanding the value that both of you can actually bring to each other, the relationship is not going to work out, to be frank. And the reality is that not every relationship is like that. So what I can say is that, yes, referrals will definitely still be ideal, but I would say that go ahead, put your money running ads and things like that. Because the thing is that the co-leads, when you can nurture them, that's where you actually foster the best relationships. Yeah. Well, let me say this back. So if they're starting out from ground yeah. zero, they have absolutely nothing. They probably be, like you said, it'd be easier to work with warm leads is easier. But if they have yeah. any sort of content that they could amplify, yeah. like you said get viral. So if you've got content, if you put a bunch of content out there and you know some that's good versus some that's bad, you can use paid ads to amplify that content. Try to generate leads and really focus on nurturing the cold leads because you're saying that nurtured cold leads become the best clients. Is that, am I missing anything or is that accurate? No, that's 100% accurate. <laughs> so what would be the difference then? Because you said you're going to give different advice, someone starting out versus someone that's up and running. What would be the difference in the advice if someone already had some traction? Or that so was the, the advice. advice. Yeah, the that advice. was actually the advice. Yeah. To, to spend money if you can to nurture the colleagues. Ah, yeah. yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. The best clients. That's excellent. All right. And what do you think are some of the most important skills and habits for an entrepreneur to have? I would say that empathy and understanding. So empathy in the sense that everyone's situation is definitely going to be different. You can't judge every single client as a number on your balance sheet. At the end of the day, there's actually a life living human with emotions at the other end. The thing is that certain clients may, at this stage right now, they may not be able to give you like amount of money that you're looking at in terms of revenue and things like that. But if you try to understand the client more, 
And from the character of the client, you can tell that this client is someone that already appreciates loyalty and things like that. Typically, things like that go really far. And especially once they are able to actually reach a certain revenue where they have a bit of spare change, a spare budget to actually set aside stuff and things like that's where you actually get rewarded. It's really like farming. You don't see the results immediately when you plant the seeds, you water the plant and things like that. It's just about watering, nurturing it, just putting in fertilizers every day. And when it's time to reap the harvest, that's where you see it. So empathy is one because a lot of people, I, I feel that a lot of the time because as entrepreneurs, you know, you are starting out, you will definitely be very, uh, you know, critical in terms of, hey, how much am I going to get out of this client and things like that. That's a good, that's a good mentality to have. But the thing is that I think at the end of the day, you know, business relationships are not dollars and cents numbers. Mm. Right. It's really relationship empathy. And of course, at the same time, like what I mentioned, relationship, just building up, fostering the thing. Because at the end of the day, even if this person doesn't become a client per se, but who knows, you may make a lifelong friend after this. So it goes a long way. And who knows, maybe this particular friend can actually recommend you or introduce you to a client that you, you are actually looking for. And that client is actually looking for you as well. So it goes a long way. Yeah. So I, another one of our guests, Brian Kurtz, he was CEO of a company that did 40 million a year for like forever boardroom, one of the biggest direct response marketing companies. He has a saying that not everything is a sales event, but everything is a relationship event. Which yeah. is like what you're saying there, right? You're, not everything yeah. is going to turn to sales, but you have to make sure that people buy when they're ready to buy, not when you're ready to sell. Now that doesn't mean exactly. you don't make it. A, there's a way to tactfully do it. For me, I found a way you can say, would you or anyone be interested in X? Having a newsletter, lots of content at the bottom. Would you or anyone be interested in X? You still make it so the people that are ready, the fast track people, they can still if they want, but you're not forcing it down everyone's throat. I think that's a really important tactic. So you talked about some of the skills and you talked about making it a relationship. Is there any like daily, weekly, monthly habits that you think are really mission critical? I guess it's really setting a schedule for yourself and as much as possible trying to actually fit the schedule because sometimes, especially when you're doing your own stuff as an entrepreneur, a lot of things can happen concurrently and it gets a little bit overwhelming at times. So I, I guess it's really about setting schedules, just making sure that as much as you can, just follow the schedule just to make sure that things are being checked off the checklist mm. in, in a sense. Because the thing is that there are critical stuff that you definitely need to clear, but there are also stuff that you can definitely move around. So I guess it's really about taking time to sit down, taking about maybe half an hour at the beginning of the week, just asking yourself, okay, these are the mission critical stuff that I definitely need to clear within the week. By when do I need to clear it and things like that. This Then after that, maybe I have another column where it's, okay, this important as well, but not as mission critical. I'm going to maybe set a longer timeline for this, two weeks, a month, for example, and then all the other miscellaneous stuff that I have actually committed to people. Definitely, I know that it's not going to be super pressing. So plan your work, work your plan. You've given some great yeah. tips here. We talked about referrals being a great bottom benchmark and tied in the importance of relationships and not just trying to go after the sale that we do need sales, but to try to be tactful in it. We also talked about the importance of advertising, if you can, and something that maybe people had to read between the lines to understand is that you can test 
content organically. And then when you feel like something has resonance, then you can amplify it with paid ads, which I think is a really important message there. I was talking about nurturing cold leads. I think that's a really almost a lost art where a lot of people, they're just trying to, it's almost like they're out looking for one night stands, not understanding that you can build a relationship with people. And you even said cold leads that you nurture become the best clients. I think that is a really powerful sentence here. And then we also talked about having a schedule and having a plan. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see your clients and entrepreneurs making? I guess it's over-promising, over-committing. Oh, because, yeah, because sometimes we really just want to close the deal. And honestly speaking, I myself, I'm guilty of that as well. But the thing is that it's about over-committing to the limit where you are still able to actually deliver it, but maybe at a cost of something. It could be the profits they'll be generating, for example, or maybe, you know, your quality of work may be affected slightly, but not to the stage where it's badly affected and things like that. So yeah, I, I would say really overcommitting, really just trying to promise as much as you can, you know, as much as you want to please the client, you can't please everyone. And, you know, sometimes there are limitations as well. Let's say, for example, if a client were to tell you, say, hey, fly me to the moon, for example, be like, hey, yeah, you want to go to the moon? Definitely. I can get you there. But how much are you willing to set aside to, to get to the moon? Yeah, actually, yeah. I have a friend. He says it's he's promising someone the moon, but taking them on a helicopter ride. I say getting a haircut, buying a haircut and getting your shoe yeah. shine. Like you pay for to get a haircut and then they polish your shoes and you go, man, that is a great job on my shoes. You did excellent. But I got a haircut. That's what I wanted. Past guest that we just had on the show, he he really whacked me out of a paradigm where he asked, which company do you think is bigger, Dropbox or HubSpot? And I thought HubSpot was bigger. And he said, no, Dropbox is the bigger company. And they are a one feature software tool. So when you mm -hmm. say you want to overpromise to the client because you want to get them, but sometimes if you yeah. can just do less better as agreed upon to completion, yeah. that is more valuable anyhow. And I think that's a really important, really important message. One, for your peace of mind, but also for the client to have better results for them. And I think that's yeah. a really powerful sentiment. Being able to turn people away because they're asking for too much. Understanding what you can and cannot do. That yes. has power in it. And being able to walk away from a negotiation is incredibly powerful, right? I think it is, it is. Uh, my friends and I, we say roof and ramen. Once you had roof and hot noodles, like you had a budget for that. After that, it was about excellence and really trying to take care of people or not so much worrying about the income and the flashy car and all that stuff, but just doing things yeah. really well. I think that's super powerful. So where do you think some of this stuff is going? Because there's been a lot of disruption. We've got new technology, AIs yep. popped out. We've got geopolitical issues on the horizon. There's even cultural shifts happening. A lot of people are now working remotely or working from home. Where do you see things going in five, 10 years? What are some of the trends or things that either are on your radar or you think the listeners should be aware of and prepare for? Personally, I think that technology is accelerating really quickly. And especially if you're talking about this one year itself, AI, it's the buzzword right now. And a lot of people are really afraid about what AI can do. And some people are actually, in fact, worried that AI can actually replace their jobs and things like that. I frankly think that right now, AI is still at its infancy, to be honest. Right. This is my personal opinion. I'm no subject matter or subject matter expert on this, but this is where I see it going, is that uh, a lot more improvements can be done. Yes, the technology is definitely way, way better if you compare right. it to like maybe three years, five years ago. 
but I, I would say things will really accelerate very quickly because the thing is that the day where robots, machines using AI can actually replace your jobs, I would say that's the day where Terminator is going to come through. <laughs> yeah, and all. And honestly speaking, I, I, I really don't think it's going to be anytime soon. Maybe in the next 10 years, maybe. I, I, I may be wrong as well, but the thing is that, yeah, it's all about learning to live with the technology because... Let, let's face it, 20 years ago, when you talk to someone about mobile phones, smartphones, for example, that was the era of Nokia. And there, I believe you, you had you had a Nokia yourself, right? A Nokia uh, phone? Actually, I think I had Motorola. I think I had the Motorola. Oh, Motorola. Okay, so you were way before that. Okay. Yeah, uh, I was in Japan. We had, Japan had all these crazy phones. I had a phone that, uh, anyways, I'll stop. But I lived in Japan for yeah. three years during most of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, so, yeah, so exactly. So what, what I wanted to say is if, 20 years ago, you were to tell people that, hey, your mobile phone can actually surf the web. You know, you can send emails out and, and, and things like that. That was even before the era of Blackberries and things yeah. like that. And people will be like saying that, are you sure? Yeah. Are you nuts? I'm, I'm going to open up a, thing, yeah. a portal in my hand and I'm going to talk face to face with someone on the other side of the planet. You're crazy. Exactly. That's magic. Yeah, exactly. So at that point, it's really just long distance call. I just pick up a phone, you dial. It's super costly. It's an arm and a leg just for, for me to just basically call you from Asia to in America, for example. And within this 10 years itself, let, let's not even talk about 20 years. Within this 10 years itself, after iPhone, Apple came out of the iPhone, when all the other brands actually came aboard. And people that are of the older generation, typically they're a bit more resistant to technological changes and things like that. But honestly speaking, you go out to the street right now, you look left and right, everyone is using a smartphone. I, I don't see right. anyone with a number right. pad phone, honestly. I see people yeah. panhandling on the street and after they go around the cars at the intersection, they go sit on the curb and they go on their smartphone. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Frankly speaking, it's hard to say how AI will turn out, but I, I would say to the stage where you actually replace your job, I would say at least a minimum of 10 years to hit what you're seeing in the Terminator, for example, Skynet or no. Yeah, I agree. I, I've talked to a lot of people and I think the census is that AI is really a tool. Yeah. Much like calculators. Before calculators, bookkeepers and accountants had to do the math themselves. And then exactly. calculators came up and then calculators came out and the productive ones became more productive. And the not productive ones lost their excuse why it was taking them a whole day to figure out two plus two equals four. With the exactly. AI tools we have now, they're just a tool and they're allowing us to do things faster. Now, there may be people that are at risk of losing their jobs, but everything's always constantly evolving. It doesn't mean there won't be more jobs. It just means that you have to either learn these tools and you really have to focus on the problem that you're solving for people. And I think that's at the real core and just excellence. Everybody, markets are unknown and unknowable. So if I asked you how many people are in market to buy a car today, you would be able to look at maybe indicators like keyword searches, but ultimately you wouldn't know the true number and it would, it changes all the time. So it's unknowable, right? Yeah. But everybody can recognize excellence. So if you just focus on solving a problem in an excellent manner, the best manner and focus on constantly doing that and improving it, I think that's a hedge against, hedge against whatever technology may come down the pipeline because if it allow you to solve that problem better, you'll just absorb it and then you'll be the provider that still does an excellent job solving that problem. I love what you said about Skynet. I think this is a really important point. Actually, Elon Musk has talked about this, that if we want to avoid the, the AI dystopian future, this is where free speech and censorship is really mission critical because we don't go and we don't kill all the monkeys on the planet. 
Yeah. We might kill some or displace them because we are trying to build a road and we destroy their habitat, but we're not seeking them out. We're not hunting them all to destroy them. But when you create AI, for example, on a social media platform that censors content about a certain thing, these are seek and destroy bots. These are bots that are, they are the Terminator. They seek and destroy. They seek and delete and suppress and all that. And this is where censorship is such a dangerous thing where obviously we want everything to be legal. Nobody here want, like we all, I just want everyone to get along. I just want to be able to raise my family, happy, healthy family, kids, all that. But I think this is where it's really important that we make sure that no one ever gets censored as long as they're within the bounds of the law and that the law respects that, especially because if people can't speak freely, their only resort would be physical violence. Like yeah. If people can't voice their concerns, they have to act them out. And so this is another thing where you say to avoid. And just because you brought up the Terminator, I think as long as we keep the focus of AI, I, I think, but I'm agreeing with Elon, as long as we keep the focus on this, on universal truths, yeah. pursuit of truth and the evidence, wherever it leads, that's probably the best path forward to make sure that none of this is going to just become suicidal, whatever human, I was going to say blonde hair, blue eyed, killing robots. We avoid that because the, yeah. it's not being used to censor suppress or anything like that. It's different. So anyways, I, I digress. So now no what do you feel is some of the best advice that you've ever gotten in terms of how to launch and, and scale a successful marketing campaign and marketing strategy or any key principles? I guess at the end of the day, it's really about understanding your key audience because the thing is that, let's say, for example, it's a fruit seller that you're trying to sell to. And if I use terminologies like for cars and things like that, I'll talk about things like horsepower, Newton torque, for example, turbocharged engines and things like that. It doesn't resonate with your intended audience. It's really about doing a deep study about what your client, the profile of your client is. And what would actually resonate with them and things like that. I, I would say that there will be cases where there will be a bit of overlaps here and there because at the end of the day, all of us are humans. We do appreciate, we do understand the same kind of things, but to be really laser focused so that the clients know that, hey, like for example, Japer, I know that you're staff and you really understand my industry and, and, and things like that. For you to actually reach that stage, you really have to try to put yourself in the shoes of your target audience and try to just read up, understand, talk to people mm. within the industry, just really try to soak up as much information as possible because at the end of the day, information is key. And that's the reason why there's an intelligence department in any military forces in the world because information is key. It is super key. Yeah. So that's actually a big part of science. Karl Popper has a, has a formula. Karl Popper was one of the original science educators. And he said, I hate to disappoint you, but there's no scientific method, meaning that there's no process by which we guarantee breakthroughs. What we have is a step-by-step -step process we follow to prevent ourselves from fooling ourselves. And occasionally that leads to major breakthroughs. And he gave it as a formula, P1 plus TS plus EE equals P2. Problem one plus temporary solution plus eliminate the errors equals problem two. And maybe you don't reach problem two, but you learn more and why your temporary solution didn't work. So then you come up with a new temporary solution. How do we eliminate errors? It's through experimentation, observation, data collection, research, right? 
testing yeah. our, our, our beliefs, I guess I would say. Yeah. And so part of this is making sure you're working from the largest data set you can, because if you, we've all seen movies where the main character doesn't give a key piece of information and you're like yelling at the movie, like, just tell them, blah, blah, blah. And if they did that, the movie would have been over in 10 minutes, but they did it. Exactly. And now you've got a three hour movie to watch it all play out. So yeah, the biggest data set possible. I think that's a great tip. So actually, when you mentioned about the movies part, there was this thing that I read online regarding the Harry Potter movies. And someone actually mentioned, they actually broke down every single episode okay. on what, yeah, on how it could have ended immediately. So <laughs> let's say, yeah. So, so let's say, for example, for the first episode, it's the Philosopher's Stone. So the thing is that, so the thing is that if, uh, they, they were saying that if Dumbledore actually uh, destroyed the Philosopher's Stone right at the start, the whole show wouldn't even happen yeah, in the yeah, first place. Yeah, it's Yeah. <laughs> and, and for example, the, the Chamber of Secrets, right? So uh, let, let's say, for example, if let, they, they, they know that students are actually dying from a specific point and they start focusing the search on that particular area, all this could be, have been avoided. It's yeah, right. but, but, what, but what took the cake for me was the uh, Goblet of Fire, the fourth movie where... Uh, someone actually put in Harry Potter's name into the baby cup and when he participated in it, Dumbledore could have said, hey, why is someone underage allowed to participate? We should just cancel this whole tournament and the movie yeah, will have just movie done. Movie done. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So just follow up, with, follow on with whatever you're talking about, the movies and things like that. Yeah. We've talked a lot about kind of the keys, principles. I also talked a bit about the future. Now you're working in a bit of a bigger organization. I think you've got a few hundred staff. Now, yeah. what are some of the specific skills and behaviors that you are, as a company, are trying to develop, knowing that the future is a little uncertain, knowing these developments are coming down, knowing what you already know about achieving results so far? Mm -hmm. Okay, so maybe I'll just talk a bit about what my company does and what we actually help sure. like other organizations with. That, that can better answer the uh, question that you just posted. ESCO is actually a AV system integrator. We actually based mostly out of Asia. What we actually do is that we help companies to actually future-proof their offices. And especially after the pandemic, with everyone revisiting the offices and things like that on how the future workplace would be like. And a lot of people are actually not exactly coming back to the offices. What is happening to a lot of the offices is that there's a lot of uh, empty spaces and Companies, organizations are actually just spending lots of money for people not coming back. So mm. the thing is that what we actually do is that we, we, we try to put in technologies like meeting rooms, harder rooms and things like that. And to actually try to be the meeting experience for such clients and things like that so that they can actually still embrace hybrid technology. They don't have to have everyone within the same physical room. They mm. still have the flexibility to have their staff to work mm. anywhere. And of course, we talk about hot desking is the rage right now. Gone are the days where people will be sitting in their own cubicles and, and things like that. Yes, there, there still will be people with their own uh, dedicated desks and things like that. But it's really just trying to understand how the culture is like right now, how people are actually working and things like that. This is the part where I was talking about initially, mm -hmm. understanding the needs and what people are looking for and things like that. We actually have technologies like that where people can actually just book a meeting room, the desk, even before they actually step into the office itself. So at least the moment I step into the office, I have a desk. I don't have to worry. Like I have to scramble around like saying, oh, crap, is this desk book or is it not? I have to snatch it from someone and things like that. But yeah, it's ah. really about this. 
because, yeah. because the office spaces are are because people are working hybrid it's not like yeah. it was where dedicated spaces is not necessarily a thing because some people just aren't there and so yeah, exactly. what happens to those pre there's who's got the corner office right with the view right everybody wants to know yeah something so, like that yeah so i never heard that term before hot desking so hot desking is is that it sounds like almost musical chairs like no desk yes, in some offices is necessarily dedicated because you might be working hybrid you might only be in the office two days a week so what's happening with that space in the off time right for amongst other people Exactly. And the thing is that, of course, there will be a lot of equipments with hot desking, with the meeting rooms, the meeting ports, for example. And you definitely want a way to be able to actually monitor and track just to make sure that all the equipments are running concurrently without any issues and things like that. We actually also provide the monitoring services as well. This is something that a lot of clients, they may not think about it at that stage. This is something that we actually value add to the clients as well. I'm, I'm not saying that all clients wouldn't ask for this outright, that there will be, especially the guys that are based in the IT department, they definitely want this because they want to be able to have a bird's eye view of everything. But typically, the people that we are talking to, they could range from the IT people, the facilities people and things like that. It's really about just value adding it. And this is all the stuff that we've been talking about for the whole discussion so far today. Got it. So what are some of the skills that you think are really important for your staff to develop to make sure that moving into the future, you guys are able to stay ahead of things? Yeah. Okay. What I actually practice with my team is that I try not to be too, too down their necks. I try not to be a puppet master in a sense. I really try to step back, let them do their stuff. I will only come in when they come up to me and say things like, Hey, I really need help with this. Or can you give me advice on this and things like that? As much as I can, I let them try to do their stuff first because you only learn if you bang your head on the wall, if you get what I mean. Mm -hmm. So the thing is that if I were to spoon feed you, you wouldn't learn. So the thing is that I rather teach you to fish rather than to give you a fish. And the thing is that I try to be as hands off as possible. Of course, there are certain times that I would definitely need to step in, but as much as possible, I give them the flexibility to just do what they want, to have the creative freedom and things like that. Because what you mentioned, censorship and things like that. Right. <clears throat> the last thing that I wanted to do is to restrict. Because when you restrict, creativity gets restricted as well. The best works are done when your creativity is not restricted. Now, is there a foundational kind of training program underneath it all? Or is it just a total free-for-all? Because I imagine at the same time, your company's got goals and objectives that you're trying to, and requirements from clients. So is there yeah. a, a backbone of training underneath all that where you're not trying to micromanage people? You want them to be, you want them to almost have an ownership mentality. If I'm hearing you properly, you want them to have an ownership yeah. mindset. It could be very entrepreneurial, but is there a training program to support them at a base level, a core level? Yeah, I would say definitely. The thing is that what is happening in my team is that I actually structured it in a way that everyone would actually be do, do, uh, doing stuff that is either their interests or what they are good at in terms of the skill set itself. So that will be really your core focus. Of course, in the case where they decided to spread their wings out a little bit, try something else and things like that. I wouldn't say no, but I would actually try to guide them as much as possible with the knowledge that I actually accumulated over the years. I'm not saying that I know everything. I have went through my fair share of battles, fair right. share of head bangings. Of course, if I know that they are heading straight to the wall, definitely I will rein them back. I will like, hey, 
I don't think you should be doing that. Yeah, and things like that. So that they don't waste their time and things like that. But at the same time, they still get that learning experience out of it. Yeah. Do you guys invest in company training at all? Is this something like, do there... Is it is there an internal department that handles this, or do people have a certain amount like uh, career development type thing? Is that that's something that we have? So it works both ways. There there are staff where we make mandatory. They definitely need to attend such classes, courses, and things like that. But of course, if there are any other personal interests that is related to the job itself. I'm not going to say no, you definitely right. can go for it as well. And if it really makes a lot of sense for the company as well, we can definitely work out something where we can actually help to sponsor part of the fees as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you so measure the effectiveness of development? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah. And how do you measure the effectiveness? If somebody says that, if somebody comes to you and they're like, I want to learn, I don't know how to juggle with my hands and feet. How do you measure that if it relates to the company goals and if it's effective or not? Frankly speaking, you it's not a, a, a X or a Y answer. It's not a direct answer mm-hmm. where it's like a yes or no answer. I would say it's really about basing on your gut feel and of course some of the previous stuff that has been done okay. using yeah, you're yeah. using previous results, analytics and things like that. Yeah, but I I would say it's really Majority of it is really basing on your gut feel and things like that. Because the yeah. thing is that you can't say for sure if I were to learn a juggling course, for example, right. how much value would that bring to the company and things like that. It's, right. it's, it's not a hard and fast yes or no, if you get what I mean. Right. Yeah. No, fair enough. Fair enough. I fully respect that. 100%. Now, I have a question in terms of... Actually, no. You've given such great info. I've already got a couple of pages of notes, and I do want to be respectful of your time. Yeah. Pepper, is there anything that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you? I think you really covered quite a fair bit of stuff. And of course, if anyone wants to learn more as well, I see a money-making opportunity over here. No, <laughs> 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 no, nah, nah, but jokes aside. Uh, yeah, I think we really covered quite a, a fair bit of stuff. Really, there are some tidbits for aspiring entrepreneurs, for example, and how from a team perspective, how things are actually done and just really trying to understand what the client needs and things like that. So yeah, I would say it's pretty comprehensive if you were to ask me. And if people have questions, if they want to learn more, if they want to reach out to you, where's the best place for them to go? LinkedIn would definitely be the best. So yeah, can just drop me a message over there. I'll definitely reply once I have the time. Yeah, so go look them up. J-A-P-E-R, Japper, Yale, Y-E-O. We've got the right guy. He's working at ESCO. You can also check out esco.asia e-s-c-o dot a-s-i-a japper again thank you so much this has been a very insightful call i've got like i said a couple of pages of notes people may want to listen to it more than once to make sure they get all the goods thank you for coming and sharing with my audience and i knowing that you have your own following your own staff your own projects i really appreciate you coming and sharing your thoughts sure